You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. We die because of Adam's sin. We live because of Christ's perfect, righteous life. When he died, it was not right that he died. It was not good that he died in a sense, but he didn't do anything wrong. He died for us, and that's why he could not be held down. He had to be raised from the dead. This was God's plan from the beginning. Jesus' resurrection is the solution to all of human history. It is what provides everlasting life to all of us. Many view death as the end, final, tragic. As Christians, we know that death is just the beginning. In today's message, Pastor Tom unpacks the implications that Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection have for us. We are not only given eternal life when we believe in Him, but we are also invited to take part in His kingdom now. Is that hard for you to believe? Today, you will hear historical evidence for how we know for sure that Jesus Christ lived, was killed, and then resurrected three days later. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 1 as he begins his message, A Historical Christian Faith. Our Christian faith is ancient. It's historic. It runs backward long before the Muslim faith. It runs before there was a pope in Rome. Indeed, Christianity is the fulfillment of ancient Judaism, and in that way, Christ, in at least prophecy, was proclaimed even before the religions of the East. It goes back to Abraham, Moses, and David. Jesus said that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Rather than viewing Christianity as ancient as a plus, some people view it as a minus, that it doesn't fit with contemporary society anymore, that it's archaic, it's out of touch. Modern thought and modern culture have grown past it, so they say. We've shed the old world. We're heading into a new age, the next stage of evolutionary development as the vain imaginations of man go. Because the truth is that God has not changed, and God's truth has not changed, never changes. And God's plan for the ages, well, it spans millennia. And that means not only our time, but His plan goes even into our future, way into the future. So it's incumbent of the church as we witness in modern society, as we work out our faith here in this world, that we are firmly grounded in the history of our faith, that we have confidence about it. As life shifts and changes, as morals change, as the church gets attacked, it's important for us to know we're the ones who understand truth. We're the ones who believe it, and we want to stand rock solid on that and be confident about that. So with that as our aim, we return to Acts 1, verses 1 through 5. I'll read it for us. As Luke writes, "...the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven." after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is his great introduction to this church history, this soul book that tells of the 
early rise of Christianity so we could know the things that happened among the early Christians. Indeed, this was designed to be the introduction to the whole book. It's a formal introduction, and in it we see that he's focusing on the historic nature of the faith. Christianity is not a man-made religion. It's not a philosophy about how to live. It's not an ethic. It is simply God working in history. It's the truth. It's reality as what happened in the human world, in the human context on this planet. It is the expression of tangible history. Now, here we see expressed in these opening verses three important historic facts. The first one we covered last time is the historic gospel mentioned in verses 1 and 2. The historic gospel. And then the historic resurrection we'll talk about today in verse 3. And also the historic descent of the Holy Spirit in verses 4 and 5. Now, just a little bit of review. Last time we covered the historic gospel, and we saw that Acts was written as a sequel to the gospel of Luke. Even though Luke is split by John, really those two books go together, Luke and Acts. They're both written by this Greek named Luke. And Luke, as he has been evaluated by modern archaeologists, by historians, was mocked for a while. He was made fun of. Another way to show the Bible is not all that accurate until they discovered more and realized that some of their theories about the ancients were wrong. And Luke was a first-rate historian. He got his facts correct. You can't judge whether or not a miracle occurred by science or archaeology, but you can judge whether or not someone took care to be very accurate in many of the notes that they make about geography and history and names and places and routes and all of that. And that, Luke, has been confirmed with, even outside of the New Testament. Luke Acts, we also saw, is a large portion of our New Testament. And because it's very large, it's meant to supply us with a lot of the history about first the life of Christ and then the life of the church or the life of Christ in the church. It's meant to give us, not just Theophilus, but all of us who are reading it, confidence to know how did Christianity get started? What happened? What's the history? How did it make progress? All of us now, we're built on not only that, but many other centuries of church history as well. And so it's great for us to learn this is history. We're not opening up a religious book only. We're, we're opening up history and we're reading about what God has done. Now, the second historical truth is the historic resurrection. Would you look at verse 3? I find this to be a powerful verse. Luke writes here, to these that is, the apostles, he also presented himself alive after his suffering, notice, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. I don't think it is an exaggeration to say that verse 3 is one of the most important apologetic verses in the Bible. Apologetics is the discipline of defending the truth of Christianity against its critics and its competitors. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, it exhorts every Christian to do apologetics. It says there, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense. That's an apologia, a defense of the Christian faith to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you. Why do you hope that Jesus Christ is coming back? Why do you put your eternity and your future in his hands? You need to be ready to give a defense for that. Part of that is, hey, this is history. There's prophecy. Christ came. He did certain things. There was a resurrection. Of course, I'm in touch with reality, and all of this applies to the modern world as well. Well, you can give that testimony, that defense in your own heart. 
That defense has to include the history, the historic nature of the gospel, the historic nature of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as well. Of course, we know the concept of a resurrection from the dead, not some spiritual being alive, but an actual dead body coming back to life. That is always going to be a controversial belief and a controversial teaching. It was in Jesus' day. When Jesus was alive as a teacher, it says back there that the Sadducees denied the resurrection. In fact, in Acts 23, 8, Luke makes that point there. He says the Sadducees said that there is no resurrection. How would they know? It was just their belief. There is no resurrection. Paul was a former Pharisee. He believed that, and at least the Pharisees got one thing right. He said there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Everyone's going to be raised from the dead. They're just going to have to face either salvation that God has granted because they trusted in Christ, or they're going to face the judgment of Almighty God when all of their deeds are are read off and God doesn't grade on a curve. And if you've sinned once, you cannot be saved by yourself. You're guilty. There is going to be a resurrection that makes people stand before God and give an account of their entire life. In fact, the resurrection was something that we could say had to happen. It's not just that it did happen or that it's neat that it happened or we're grateful that it happened, but it had to happen. And the reason we say that is, why do people die in the first place? Why is it that human beings actually die? And the answer is because of Adam's sin. Now, we're all sinners, but the reason why you and I die are because the first man died. And so he passed on a guilty nature to his posterity. And so we know that we die because of Adam's sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 says, For since by a man came death, then by a man also came the resurrection from the dead. So because we're all connected to Adam, we all die. So God said what has to happen is that needs to be reversed. So there needs to be a human being now who does not do what Adam did, but obeys God perfectly, will go into death, not for his own sins, but for our sins, pay that penalty on the cross, and then break the power of death by coming out the other side. This Jesus Christ did, and this Jesus Christ had to do to save the human race. We die because of Adam's sin. We live because of Christ's perfect, righteous life. When he died, it was not right that he died. It was not good that he died in a sense, but he didn't do anything wrong. He died for us. And that's why he could not be held down. He had to be raised from the dead. This was God's plan from the beginning. Jesus's resurrection is the solution to all of human history. It is what provides everlasting life to all of us. We don't look at death as the end. It's not that we just live on in our spirit and go to heaven. Our bodies themselves will be raised, transformed, and we will live forever because of his act. In fact, It tells us even more that Jesus was raised from the dead. Romans 1, 4 specifically says that Jesus was declared, not made, but declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. When he was raised from the dead, God was making a statement. This is my son, you see. Now, people often ask, what is the difference between Christianity and all the other religions and isms and philosophies of the world? Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? A man in human history presented himself alive after being publicly executed by professionals, pierced through his very heart, dead, buried for more than 36 hours. Now, it's true there are a lot of fantastic claims that have happened both in the past and now. Those claims that happened that were crazy kinds of claims were easily dismissed. Why? The evidence just wasn't there for them. 
Nobody was able to dismiss Jesus. There's a reason why his resurrection has been proclaimed by intelligent, educated people for 2,000 years. It's because the evidence is compelling. It's overwhelming. You can't deny it without coming up with some silly theory that under examination doesn't work. It happened. This event happened. None of the alternative explanations make any sense. You put them under the microscope, you look at them, and they don't add up with the facts. And so they are dismissed, not this theory of the resurrection. Every open mind ends up concluding, wow, I have a hard time believing it, but wow, there's the evidence. Jesus did rise from the dead. That's the only proper way to interpret the historic evidence. Look at that statement again there. Jesus presented himself alive from the dead. He didn't just rise from the dead. He came and presented himself. Here I am. I'm alive from the dead. All of the earliest documents of Jesus' life are uniform in their claim that Jesus not only rose from the dead, emptying the rock-solid tomb where he was laid, but that to prove he was resurrected beyond any doubt, he had to go to people that really didn't believe in a resurrection, and he had to present himself alive to many people so that they would get past all of their doubts and they would be convinced. We point this out every Easter, do we not? Resurrection Sunday, as we like to call it. This is what puts Jesus in a whole other category from every other religious philosophical leader in anyone today. He is in his own category. This is what puts him high above Muhammad. Who is Muhammad to talk to Jesus about anything? Jesus is superior. I mean, Buddha says this is the way to live. Jesus rose from the dead and said this is the way to live. Who are you going to trust? Confucius, Hare Krishna, Mary, what did they do? Any other name? people trust in in history or today. Why would they? This is the name. This is why modern pluralism and that silly mantra you see all the time out there on bumper stickers, etc., coexist. It's a pathetic distraction from what people should be thinking about. Compare the religions. There's no comparison. It's a disservice to us and to humanity to distract people down here on earth with this mantra, coexist. How is that helping anybody to put Jesus on par with the others and pretend the resurrection didn't happen or that if it did happen, it has no significance? The others are dead, buried, and defeated. They never rose from the dead. Why do we put them on par with Christ? It is to plunge the intellect into a dark cave and then try to find light there. Listen, death is the greatest enemy of man. Always has been. Everybody dies. Death ends the most precious commodity you and I have. Life. I don't have anything better than that, do you? Who cares how many toys you accumulate before you die? If you die, do you take any of them with you? Who cares if you have a famous name, if you can never live to benefit from it? Who cares about life's experience or fulfilling your bucket list or your trophies if you end up dying? You ever thought about that? Life is the only thing that really matters. Not to have it makes everything else in life, honestly, a waste. What's the point? Therefore, conquering death is the greatest human achievement. Everybody should celebrate it. But now they would rather celebrate, wow, they went to the moon and back. It's great. Yeah, but they died. 
They cured cancer. Yeah, but they'll die of something else. And by the way, they haven't cured cancer. We're going to start a colony on Mars. Then what are you going to do? Die on Mars? They invented the nuclear bomb to help a lot of people die at one time. Great human achievements. All the world's technologies have done nothing to dent death. Death still mocks modern man the same way it chided ancient man. Not so with Jesus. No, not with him. Can't defeat him. Can't hold him down. Jesus is more powerful. Jesus is triumphant over death. Jesus mocks death. Oh, death, where is your victory, right? Oh, death, where is your sting? When he is seen in the book of Revelation, he's standing and he's holding something in his hands. I think it's his right hand. And he says, I hold the keys of death and of Hades. Remember that? Why? Because he can unlock it and let us go. Jesus went down into death and he came out the other side, breaking its grip on the entire human race. That is why he presented himself alive after his suffering. This means all the suffering Jesus went through, his brutal scourging, his savage crucifixion, and his definitive public death. That term suffering is pasco in Greek. It frequently refers to his sufferings, but all the way until his body died. It wasn't just that he suffered and had pain. He suffered and he went through the sufferings to death. It's used that way in Acts 17.3 where it said Christ had to suffer and rise again. That implies the suffering means he died. In 1 Peter 2.21 it says, For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you. What does that mean? Suffered to the point of death for you, you see. Leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. In Hebrews 13, 12, it says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. What does that mean? He suffered on a cross outside the gate of Jerusalem, outside the city walls. He suffered so everyone could see him. And then he died. He suffered to death. He actually died. Despite the erroneous and completely unfounded claim of the Muslims, it was Jesus, not someone else or someone else's body, who suffered and died on that cross. Galatians 3 says Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So they saw him on the cross. The people that knew Jesus best had no doubt at all. That's Jesus dying on the cross. Never did any of the enemies or any of his friends disagree on that fact. They never disagreed on the fact that it was Jesus that died on that cross. There's no one from history that disputed that fact. The Muslims and anyone else who denied that fact destroy their own credibility. There is zero evidence from any of the firsthand witnesses, both inside and outside the New Testament, that Jesus did not die on that cross. And then Jesus rose and he presented himself. This was important. You know, we say that the gospel is Jesus died for us on the cross and then he rose from the dead. That's good. That's kind of shorthand. But really it's this. Jesus died on the cross for us and was buried. Why do we say he was buried? To prove he was dead. He was buried. <laughs> he was in a tomb and he was buried. You know, he wasn't just kind of hanging on there and they took a look at him and said, oh, I think he's dead. No, he was buried. He was gone. So he died and he was buried and then he was risen. And then what happened after that? He appeared and he appeared and he appeared and he appeared again and again. What do those appearances prove? That he rose from the dead. They're part of the gospel we preach. They're part of the historic evidence for Christianity. That presentation of himself alive from the dead took place, we're told, right here in Acts 1. It took place over how many days? Forty days. Forty days he did this. Repeatedly, intermittently, over 40 days. First on the Sundays, as we've seen before, and then at other times. This 40-day period of time was a crucial point in all of human history. This was so important. 
This time, he didn't leave and go back to heaven. He, he continued to stay on the earth. He was able to disappear because of his transformed body. It had physical features to it. It had other more powerful features, but he continued to appear. He didn't leave. He stayed there for 40 days, appearing again and again. Just as that burial proved he was dead, the appearances proved he was risen from the dead. The whole point of this very special time in human history was to make sure that this group of witnesses, this raggedy band of disciples we call apostles, and think they were some great men. They were just normal guys trying to figure this all out. Their eyes wide open. They were about to be sent out into the world. They were going to be persecuted. They were going to be killed for what they were going to preach, right? Jesus knew that. They had to be certain this was no ghost standing in front of them. I mean, if you had doubts, maybe this was a ghost. Would you go out and preach to your death? No. This was no phantom. This was no natural anomaly. This was not a visitor from some other planet. This was no hallucination. The same Jesus we saw on the cross, crucified, dead, buried, put into a rock tomb, sealed by the giant stone in front of it. Emperor's seal goes in front of it. A guard out front to guard it to make sure no one could take the body. It's that same Jesus that has now risen indeed physically. There he is standing in front of us with all the marks still on his body. 40 continuous days of human history to prove just that one fact. That's how important it was. These 40 days provided many convincing proofs. Do you see that? You know what the word many means? It means many. It means not a few. No paltry provision of evidence. No quick glimpse. No trifling presentation. 40 days of constant appearances. Convincing proofs. Technarion, the Greek lexicons define that Greek term in this way, clear sign, clear proof, that from which is surely and plainly known, indutable token. It's the kind of word that provides such strong proof, it leads everybody to the conclusion. Sometimes we think things are true. Jesus wanted them to know these things are true. It was enough evidence that they were able to conclude this is true. Daryl Bach in his commentary points out that Jesus' appearances were convincing to those who had not expected a resurrection. Why do you think they were running? Now, if you're the kind of men who were not expecting a resurrection, not thinking that one is actually going to happen, you knew that kind of thing doesn't normally happen. People rising from the dead doesn't just happen. Just don't really see that every day, do you? And then you become fully and absolutely convinced it did happen. And all of you are equally convinced by the evidence as you look at it together. That has to be some pretty powerful proof, wouldn't you agree? In fact, Jesus gave them proof, every proof that could be given to them. He didn't hold anything back. All their senses were involved in multiple settings, at different times of the day, on different days of the week, in full daylight, with different groups of people, close up, touching, examining, for hours at a time. First they saw him, not once, not twice, not three times, multiple times. Some saw him alone, some saw him in groups. 1 Corinthians 15 points out as many as 500 saw him at one time. The New Testament records at least 10 of these different appearances, but it gives the impression there were quite a bit more. They also talked to him. They had conversations with him. They stood in front of him. He was no mere vision. His appearance cannot be explained by some supposed naivete of the ancients. That's what people do today is they kind of have this prejudice against the ancients. Like, well, they didn't really know back then. They couldn't examine the evidence well. That's just prejudice. They can't be swept under a little rug with silly theories like, well, maybe they just mistook him for somebody else. Or maybe they had mass hallucinations. That doesn't happen. Maybe they went to the wrong tomb. Really? 
or the Passover plot as it came out, all these silly theories that fall apart upon examination. Jesus even let them touch his resurrected body at the end of Luke. He makes that very point. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? This is Luke 24, 38. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Take your time. I'm not going anywhere. Become fully convinced. Death is the greatest enemy of mankind. Yet, as you heard in today's message from Pastor Tom, there is one who defeated it. The death of Jesus on the cross is historical fact, as evidenced by hundreds of eyewitnesses. You heard today that so too was his resurrection. After resurrecting, he spent 40 days on earth, appearing to his disciples and many others. He gave them absolute proof, which gave them the confidence they needed to begin wildfire spread of the early Christian church. We're so glad you joined us today on Discover Hope. We'd like to meet you. So if you're in the area, come visit us at Hope Bible Church. Our Sunday mornings include Bible classes at 9.30 a.m., followed by a worship service at 11 a.m. You can find out more at hopebible.org or give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. That's 443-200-HOPE. We'd also like to invite you to join us in bringing the kingdom of God and the joy of salvation to our listeners by becoming a financial partner of Discover Hope. Find out more under the Giving tab at hopebible.org. Be sure to tune in to Discover Hope next time to hear Pastor Tom teach about the historic descent of the Holy Spirit upon the early believers and how it launched the church into the historical age that we are still in today. Just as those believers received the Holy Spirit, so too have you if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Discover Hope. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hopebiblechurch.org. And be sure to join us again right here on Discover Hope.